0: Welcome to 7-Minute Torah, an exploration of the weekly Torah portion with me, Rabbi Micah Streifer. If you enjoy this podcast, please feel free to subscribe or comment or share it with a friend. The Parsha this week is called Akremot Kedoshim, and among other things, it contains what's called the Holiness Code, the set of chapters in the middle of Leviticus that teach about how to live a holy life. So you have a mix here of ritual laws like Shabbat worship, different laws of sacrifice, and also ethical laws, giving tzedakah or charity to the poor, or paying a fair wage to a worker. And at the heart of this parsha, at the heart of the holiness code, and maybe even at the heart of the Torah, is Leviticus nineteen eighteen: "Vehavta lereacha kamocha, love your neighbor
1: as yourself."
0: all right we are live here with rabbi evan yakar evan it's great to
1: see you great to see you micah rabbi striper rabbi yakar
0: we've been friends for uh, a long time and you are the rabbi today the rabbi of temple bat yam in south lake tahoe and north tahoe hebrew congregation so you're the rabbi
1: of all of paradise (laughs) north and south paradise right i I have not heard that yet but I, i like the sound of that it rings well yes
0: so for our listeners, after our Parsha discussion, we're going to have some Q&A with Rabbi Yakar, get, him, get to know him a little better, how he thinks about Judaism and about life, just the minor questions. But first, so let's talk about this week's Parsha. You told me this is your Bar Mitzvah portion. It's
1: this my Bar Mitzvah portion, it's my wife's Bar Mitzvah portion. Bar mitzvah. And
0: coincidentally, it's it's also my Bar Mitzvah portion. So that's a lot of kadoshim. Right. Was that 1992? Was that the year of your bar mitzvah also? 92 for me. I had no idea. You and I, May 9th, 1992, we were reading the same portion at the same time. Who could have thought? Amazing. All right. So what's special about Kedoshim? Other than being personally meaningful, what made you want to talk about this, Parsha?
1: Asha, you know, I, I think the, the, the pause that it represents to me in Leviticus, a different flavor, right? That it's not as black and white as the sacrificial rite has a little more human feel. Maybe it resonates more because it's something a little more applicable. I think that that is what jumps at me. I look forward to it each year when we get to the book of Leviticus.
0: Much of the rest of Leviticus is very priestly, right? It's sacrifices, it's uh, skin diseases, but this you have this sort of island of ethical material in the middle of Leviticus. And Actually, some people say this is literally the middle of the Torah, right? The middle chapter of the middle book of the Torah. Do you think there's anything to that? Do you think it's coincidence or do you think that this was purposefully placed at the middle of our
1: holy book? That's a, that's a great loaded question. I think the idea <laughs> of these ethical principles being the fulcrum, kind of that, that leveraging point between perhaps ritual and ethical as taught through narrative and and our people's experience and memory and law, is there something to that literally? No, (laughs) in my opinion. But is there something to hold and explore and understand that more deeply as that fulcrum point? Absolutely. I think that there's a lot in that, whether it's the, you know, love your fellow as yourself, the Haftal Recha or whether it's, you know, not putting a stumbling block before the blind, or, or those pieces, those things being what our behaviors center on, in the Jewish realm, and in the human realm, I think can give us a, a, a lot of help in that moral compass and that guidance.
0: Yeah, and there's that very famous story of Rabbi Hillel, who's supposed to teach all the Torah while standing on one foot, right? And this is what he says, what is hateful to you, do not do to anyone else. That's the whole Torah, and all the rest is commentary. So there's some kind of sense of where the Torah grows out of the central verse of this Parsha, which is love your neighbor as yourself. And, um, and so I guess I I like that language of it as a fulcrum that all of Judaism
1: kind of revolves around how you
0: as human beings treat each other.
1: And not a fulcrum, like the teeter totter on the playground. For me, it's like a 360, right? It's, it's the point on which, you know, the compass arrow kind of balances all the way around. And I think that that can be a real guiding light a guiding set of principles. And here's where I think I've developed a little bit anyway, since I was 13, you know, that, that. It was a guiding set of principles Jewishly, but I think the universality of this part of Torah is really powerful. Not only can it reach everyone and be some, a good set of a good framework for most, if not all human beings to operate with, or at least study and explore and pull off the layers. And I think that that to me is the perhaps more powerful piece now as a approaching middle aged rabbi than a bar mitzvah boy.
0: You're far from middle age, Evan.
1: I'm not that far behind you. So <laughs> that's
0: true. So, do you think that's where the the ritual stuff comes in. I mean, this portion, as you say, it's so universal. Love your neighbor, love each other. There, it's almost so importantly ethical that it's almost not Jewish, right? It simply is, that's what it is to be a human being. But this portion is also teaching us about worship and dietary laws. And the whole picture here is what we call the holiness code, this idea of how you live a holy life. So that ritual stuff, is that the, is that the Jewish part of it? Is that the Judaization? Or would you say, is there something Jewish about all of it, including the universal ethical pieces of this portion.
1: When I work with Bar mat mitzvah students, we talk about the ritual versus ethical mitzvah, the things that make us uniquely Jewish, the ritual and the things that really are good for everyone to do. And we talk about Shabbat, as a, a ritual, they, they experiment with creative ways to make Shabbat meaningful, like having ice cream for breakfast, for example, uh, on Shabbat morning. And, and the ethical, that's their, what I call their tikkun olam project, their opportunity to bring, bring the shattered parts of God and, and bring some more light into the world and their mitzvah project, as it were. And, and we talk about that balance. So I think the ethical might be that stretch beyond Judaism, but what I heard in your question is, is it something uniquely Jewish even at its core, at its seed? And I'm not sure, I, I would like to believe in my perhaps more universal moments and less particular moments, right? That, that this is something that grew out of the culture, the, the context historically, that our people began writing this stuff and began evaluating mm-hmm. it and layering on it, and so they borrowed and and gave to other cultures as well. And and whereas the ritual piece, that is stuff that unique, deep connection that we have with our understanding of the divine, beginning with the the Abraham story, as as a Jew, as opposed to Adam Eve, you know, Adam and Chava and, and Noah. And was I hearing your question correctly?
0: Was yeah, that- no, I, it's really interesting to think about. I like the idea that the the ethical. Mitzvot, and really, this portion revolves around the the verse "You shall love your neighbor as yourself." That it is, I think, it is deeply Jewish and uniquely Jewish, without being only uniquely Jewish. That is to say, I don't think it's only ours, but I think it is also ours. I think that you know we as a people have believed that this was core to who we are, and that may not be different from what Christians believe or what Muslims believe. But I think we view everything through kind of a lens of of Judaism, which maybe is why love your neighbor as yourself is right next to the laws of how to worship, because maybe it's our way
1: of loving your neighbor as yourself. And the language itself is powerful, the language of love in there and the language of Reacha, right? Your neighbor, your fellow, this, this companion type relationship as opposed to other, right? Now it's not its not do unto others as you would have them do unto you, as important and beautiful as that is. The word itself has a sense of knowing that other person as supposed to other.
0: Yeah, I like that. What I think I'm hearing from you is actually that it's about relationships, that you love your neighbor as yourself because, because you're building relationships between human beings. And so ultimately, maybe the message is that when you look upon others as human beings, as part of this global family, then you see the importance of building relationships between us.
1: And all stemming from this idea of the Talim Elohim of being in divine image and and that this is our godliness coming out, too. Hmm, I love that.
0: So what I learned today was that I'm required to love my neighbor as myself and that I can eat ice cream for
1: breakfast on Shabbat. Making Shabbat special. What better way?
0: Perfect. Thanks again to Rabbi Evan Yakar for being our guest and our teacher this week. Now, as I mentioned before, we're going to do a little Q&A, a few bonus minutes with Rabbi Yakar. So if you're interested, please do stick around after the closing credits. And as this portion teaches, may it be a week to look around and see the goodness, the godliness, the holiness in everyone around us. And as always, thanks for listening and have a great week. All right. So as I mentioned before, I want to do a couple bonus minutes with you now just to ask you some questions about not about the Torah portion, but about about you as a Jewish thought leader and as a Jewish person. So our listeners can get a sense of 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 you. Uh, so as I mentioned before, you are the rabbi of both Lake Tahoe congregations. So what's it like being the rabbi of two different congregations? And also, what is it like being the rabbi of paradise? And I'll just mention for our listeners that you told me that you once skied to work.
1: I have cross-country skied to work. I've also downhilled from one of the resorts to one of the buildings, the one on the South Shore from Heavenly Mountain Resort. Um, and uh, so, yeah, that, that, that's a pretty cool perk uh, of where I live and being somebody who recreates in the way I do. You know, I think there's a lot of, there's a lot of opportunity in bridging cultural gaps and learning from two cultural environments, organizational cultures, as it were. Huh. Um, at the same time and a lot of challenges right I have two boards so I have two presidents I have two treasurers right <laughs> that, that's a whole other thing to wrap your head around um, and, and and I'm not just talking about that means two board meetings a month it, it means you have two distinct cultural ways of, of processing and, and, and arriving at decisions uh, in terms of governance in, in nonprofit worlds and that, that's been a lot of learning for me and it's, it's plenty of struggle too um, do
0: your congregations do a lot of programming together? I know they're at opposite ends of the lake.
1: So it's fascinating. Both are um, in their late 30s in terms of organizational history and memory. And the only thing prior to my arrival on the North Shore, so I've been the rabbi at Bat Yam in South Lake for 10 years, and four <laughs> years ago began also as the rabbi on the North Shore. And prior to me being the rabbi at both places, the only thing that was shared on a recurring every year basis was second day Rosh Hashanah at a state park that's about equidistant between them. So an outdoor second day Rosh Hashanah celebration. When COVID hit, I immediately called my dear friend, former mentor now, still a mentor, but we're much more colleagues and, and work as partners, uh, who's in Sacramento. And we'd done some programming retreat style stuff, camping retreats an Israel trip together between the three congregations. I called them immediately said, you know, we're closing our doors. What are you doing? Uh, we're not, we're doing this together. Not alone. We built this collaborative community between the three congregations, my two and his one, yeah, our t- staff's working together, our boards working together had a beating between three boards. And so I believe the way that we've coalesced in collaborative spirit through the COVID moment will continue for the Tahoe congregations. Religious school became one day a week instead of two separate and virtually allowed us to maximize the resource of teachers. And it gave um, opportunities for our Shabbat and other study moments to be simultaneous and collaborative. And I think some of that will continue for the Tahoe congregations.
0: Yeah, it's amazing what we've all learned over the last year about how to be Jewish and how to form communities. I think, I mean, I know we'll all look forward to being together again in person, but I think we have learned a whole lot about, about being a community this past year. Absolutely. So, all right, a couple more questions here. Is there one Jewish ritual that you find particularly meaningful?
1: Gosh, I find a lot of them. What's fascinating. I, 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 I'm going to divulge and I don't know if, you know, this makes the cut here, but I, you know, I, I feel like you asked our dear friend, Joel, Rabbi, Rabbi Joel Simon, similar question. And I was thinking to myself, gosh, for somebody who loves ritual, I don't ritualize them. I am not a regular ritual person. In other words, I am when I, I I'm the bus driver who doesn't ride the bus in Shabbat, right? On vacation, hmm. I don't go to synagogue, right? I like candles. I do Friday evening. Um, but I think you know I have a similar response as Rabbi Simon did. You know, I think the ritual of putting my kids to bed, which I'm blessed in my environment to do almost five nights a week, if not more, which is awesome as a rabbi that I'm home and available at bedtime for young kids to do that. Um, but I think the longest standing ritual that is isn't is related tangentially to Judaism is when we might go and you and I, and Joel, we're in Jerusalem. I started calling my nuclear family. My parents are not not married, but I started calling my nuclear family, both my parents and my two siblings, every Friday to wish them Shabbat Shalom. And that has continued. And if I don't call, I get a call from one of them on Saturday morning, just making sure everything's all right. And that has become a really important signpost in my week.
0: It's beautiful. I love it. And of course, that's a Jewish ritual. It may not be in the Talmud, but that's because they didn't have telephones. Uh, okay, what's your favorite holiday? Sukkot. How come?
1: I, twofold, right? I am, I'm an outdoor recreationalist. I spend time outdoors. I work with Adventure Rabbi. You know, I get that whole spirit of synagogue without walls. It's very much where I do a lot of my work. And so the, the connection to the natural world, to the cycles of nature that is, that is you know, a little bit more expressed in Sukkot than I think any other holiday right? We know that most of our holidays have an agricultural or folk connection and and Tu Bishvat might be this birthday of the trees, but it was also based in this tax cycle too, right? Let's remember that. (laughs) Sukkot is about understanding our food, our sustenance comes from the earth, that we have to connect to that as well as the spiritual side. So there's two components of the spiritual that I love. One is this bin hag type tradition this customary tradition and i've never found a source for it about after you break fast on yom kippur is when you drive the first nail of your sukkah or whatever the first attachment mm-hmm. and what i love about that is that the moment we are done beating ourselves down internally and spiritually and the work of teshuva we start rebuilding something fragile we start rebuilding with that impermanent structure of the sukkah and the second piece is the Ushbizim, these spiritual guests that we welcome. And the reason that became so connected to me, just to share an anecdote, was I brought that idea to an interfaith Thanksgiving service with my interfaith crew, my colleagues, my dear friends in the Carson Valley area that I work with. And we do an interfaith Thanksgiving service. And one year we, they asked me to come up with our theme or thing. And I, I talked about these spiritual guests, Thanksgiving Sukkot kind of tied And as each of us was sharing our spiritual guest, the host, a clergy, uh, Father Chuck Durante, formerly of St. Teresa's Catholic Church in Carson City, started. he had this idea on the spot. He went to the back and pulled out a folding chair, an empty folding chair and he put it on their bima as it were in the church for each of our guests. And for me, that represented that ritual, that tradition so beautifully. And so those three pieces, the driving the nail, spiritual guests that we welcome and the connection to the natural world. I love that.
0: Yeah. I share the love for Sukkot. I've always, I've always said Sukkot's my favorite Jewish holiday because it's the, the one where you go outside and build stuff. You know, I think just the idea of being out in nature and and I'm, and I so much find God in nature. And so I I really relate to what you're saying.
1: I love one of my favorite activities. I do it every third year, every or so, because I don't want it every year for religious school kids. They have Mm -hmm. to do a Taholula. So we learn all about the four species right, the, the myrtle, the willow and the palm and, and the etrog. And then they have to go into the area around our synagogue buildings and they have to find four things that represent four native Tahoe things, species, natural things and create this, we love an etrog as cool. if were, you know, that and we get some great, great examples.
0: Well, maybe we'll, maybe we'll bring you back for a Sukkot edition later next year. Uh, all right, one last question. What book do we all need to read?
1: Wow, I was prepared for the. What am I reading now? I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna promote my friend and mentor Rabbi Jamie Corngold, um, the Adventure Rabbi, and uh, her second book, The God Upgrade. What she presents in The God Upgrade is this this idea that something happened in the last century in which we stopped upgrading our theology, our ideas about the divine, God, mystery of creation, whatever we believe as we always did. We as a people have been thinkers. We've written, we've, we've dived in, we, we've altered, we've evolved our connection with and understanding of this God concept and idea. And some reason it stopped, it dropped off. And so the God upgrade is great for the Jew sitting in the pews who reads the words of Michamocha Mocha in English and is like, wait a second. That's not my theology. We, what are we singing? And then starts to dive in. Um, the God Upgrade gives you a framework for understanding how to deal with that and how to respond. And, and I think also for those who have are, are deeply knowledgeable and have spent time studying this stuff, it, it's a yet another contribution to the layering of our relationship with the divine.
0: That's great. Thank you. Yeah, it's. I think it's something that a lot of us are thinking about. How do you find yourself in a text or in a prayer book or in a in a series of texts that don't always speak to what I think about the world or what I think about God. So um, Rabbi Evan Yukar, I want to thank you for joining us today. It's been nice catching up and uh, really nice having, we, having you with us.
1: Honor and a treat and, and Yasher Koch to you for, for doing this and uh, look forward to continuing to take my seven minutes of Torah uh, a little more regularly now. Thank you.
0: Thanks for listening to 7-Minute Torah. If you enjoyed this program, please leave a review or a comment, and please pass it on to a friend. You can also subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Have a great week.